Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Hey, everyone. It's Dave Asprey with Bulletproof Radio. Today's cool fact of the day is that a disease whose name I actually don't know how to pronounce, but I bet Tim Ferriss knows how to pronounce, is called Erbachwitze, which looks German. Anyhow, this is a disease that's incredibly rare and is caused by a mutation of chromosome 1. And it causes weird symptoms in its victims, but one of the symptoms is calcification of the amygdala, which makes patients unable to feel fear even when they're at gunpoint. So maybe that's an interesting mutation that could be useful for some people some of the time. All right. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. If you haven't guessed, today's guest is Tim Ferriss, who I think everyone already knows, four-hour workweek guy, who's coming out with a really cool new TV show. But Tim, did I say U-R-B-A-C-H-W-I-E-T-H-E? Correct. U-I-T. It sounds like some type of uh, like West African... Uh, witchcraft hex. I don't know actually offhand, and I think it's perhaps that I need more caffeine, but I, I can't identify what language that is immediately offhand. So I would say it sounded fantastic in my opinion. Uh, well, that, that comes, uh, we speak what, five or eight languages now. So coming from you, that's a compliment given that I speak like English and a little bit of Spanish when I'm prompted. So <laughs> respect. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm run, running on ketones at the moment, so I'll, I'll blame it. Uh, blame anything good or bad on that. Uh, it's always nice to have a scapegoat. I've never used a ketone as a scapegoat, but I'm absolutely going to borrow that from now on. <laughs> no, definitely. Now, Tim, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is that you are making a new TV show, and it's probably one of the most, at least it sounds like, I haven't seen it, but it sounds like one of the most worthwhile TV shows uh, um, that I can think of. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about it, and I wanted to ask you about what your plans are for that and just talk about a bunch of other stuff that I think both of our audiences are interested in. But first up, you're going to have a TV show about hacking human performance without having to change your genes, which is kind of cool. What, what's up with the show? Tell me about it because I think a lot of people are going to be excited. Yeah, the, absolutely. It's it's basically a visual incarnation of all of the ri ridiculous but hopefully 
productive and sometimes dangerous uh, experiments that I've done on myself, uh, starting with, I suppose, the four-hour body for most people, although I've been doing it for a lot longer than that. So the the show is called The Tim Ferriss Experiment, and uh, all the shows are done. We have a full season, and I was an executive producer and the host, so it meant that I worked on everything from choosing the teachers to the skills to the locations to going over rough cuts. And the I had said no to a lot of television before, as I'm sure you have, yeah. and then had the chance to actually cherry pick the people that I wanted to work with. And I ended up working with 0.0, who does all of Anthony Bourdain's work. So I just asked myself, what TV do I actually enjoy watching? <laughs> and let me go look at the people who make that. And it turned out that the gritty cinematic style of, say, The No Reservations or Parts Unknown is done by this 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 gang out of New York called ZPZ. And so I partnered with them uh, as well as Turner Broadcasting and made this show. And it was just a brutal – the making of the show itself <laughs> is, a, is a really incredible story because we did 13 weeks of – of shooting in about I want to say 16 weeks. It was the most wow. the most brutal schedule I've ever experienced, and um, I'll be the first one to say if you want a four hour work week, uh, <laughs> filming TV in that fashion is not the way to do it. We probably did 12 to 16 hours a day of filming, uh, or my days were at least 12 to 16 because I was doing a lot of review at the same time. But the the premise of the show is, and uh, I know we're on the same page here, is that you don't need to be superhuman to get superhuman results. You just need a better toolkit and uh, for most of the episodes, I was using myself as a guinea pig. So I would say have a week to learn the drums with Stuart Copeland, the founding drummer of The Police, who's considered one of the top 10 drummers of all time. I would have a, a week, and usually a week meant three to four days, uh, to then go on stage with Foreigner and play to a sold-out show uh, live. Or I would have... No, no a, pressure. <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. I would, or I would have, say, a handful of days, uh, four days, I think it was, to go from zero Tagalog, which is Filipino, to being interviewed live on Filipino television for six minutes, which is a long time. It's a very, wow. very long time. And, uh, but then there, was, then there was all sorts of stuff. Parkour, so trying to be a ninja, which uh, ended up... Not all of these end up with me hitting home runs. Some of them end up with me face planting and getting really, really injured. So there was surfing with Laird Hamilton, who's considered the the, the undisputed king of big wave surfing. So oh, yeah, I love Laird. He's he's a friend. Yeah, Laird. Oh, that's yeah. Laird's awesome. Laird's an amazing guy, an incredible athlete, and uh, poker, professional poker, and the list goes on and on. So every every episode is a different skill. And then for I think two of the episodes, I worked with students. So I was one of the teachers. And uh, that was to just demonstrate that this is a toolkit. It's not me. It's not limited or inherent to my abilities. It's really just a, a, a set of checklists and approaches and questions that allow you to do this. So we took students and made them appear to be superhuman themselves, which was, which was really fun. What did you do uh, during the, the filming? Because I, I know... I know the schedule to some extent. I filmed for six weeks this year. I did a documentary on like sort of hidden kryptonite in our environment. And the number one source I know of is, is this water damaged buildings. Like it's, it's affecting probably 100 million people. So I'm like, I'll do a documentary about this. And it creates bioaerosols that make people cranky and weak and can do other weird things. So I'm flying all around interviewing all these people. And, it, and I did it in, in broken up things, but it kicked my ass, to be perfectly honest. Like I was using all the, the bulletproof style biohacks. But what did you do during those 16 weeks of filming when you were working 12, 16 hours a day, not, you know, an hour a day <laughs> in order to stay strong and focused and to look good on camera because you don't want to look like a zombie, right? How did you do it? Yeah, that was that was a challenge because if you're doing, say, a book launch and uh, and you're looking haggard and like, uh, you know, Al Pacino after a five-day bender in Vegas <laughs> – uh, you can. You don't necessarily have to have your face on camera every day, uh, much less be performing these you know ridiculous feats on camera. But uh, in my particular case, I traveled with basically a, a, a suitcase full of gear, which got <laughs> which 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 got bigger and bigger and more packed and more packed as I accumulated more injuries. So I had I had an, an ultrasound device, I had or ultrasound kit really. I had a Mark Pro, which yeah. is uh, the electrical stim device. It's going right uh, over there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, basically a TENS unit for different types of, of injuries and, and recovery and lymph clearance and so on. Also traveled with a combination of 
uh, creams and man potions like DMSO, so mm-hmm. using uh, dimethyl, I think it's dimethyl sulfoxide uh, for also injuries, but it's, it acts as a solvent, so you can do some very interesting things if you want to push other thing, uh, other substances through the skin. And uh, ha- I did consume a lot of fats, so the fats were super key. And uh, I was I was consuming typically tea with all sorts of different fats, whether they be MCTs uh, or just straight coconut oil or butter or some combination of all of them. And uh, yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> I mean, you've experienced this for a lot longer than I have, but when people watch you do <laughs> make something like that. Especially, especially when, yeah, especially when I'm doing kind of, I'm not going to call it a hack job, but it's, it's a rushed hotel job of doing this. And I did have a bullet blender, um, the, uh, just the tiny little, uh, travel size blenders. But I was, I was oftentimes in charge of handling so many other things. I'm just like, screw it. And I just drop, you know, three or four dollops of stuff in my coffee or not my coffee, but in this case, my tea usually. And, uh, people would be like, what is floating in your coffee? That looks terrible. But it would, uh, it would really keep me going for the first hour or two of the day, because what I didn't want to do is have a really large meal immediately upon waking up yeah. and then have to be on camera, you know, 45 minutes or an hour later and have my senses dulled. So I would, I would very typically, and it's not quite intermittent fasting, uh, but uh, I would abstain from large meals until lunch very frequently. Then uh, there were uh, a number of things I consumed that for me, and I'm not saying this works for everyone, but would uh, appear to help bolster the immune system. So uh, different types of, of whey protein, had a selection of whey protein that I found historically, and again, this doesn't necessarily apply to, to everyone, but for me to really bolster the immune system. So I would take that twice a day during all of my book launches, and I did that during this as well. And then L-lysine yep. uh, is, is sort of a constant companion. I do that at night. How much do you take? Uh, I, I'm typically taking, it depends on if I feel any onset of, of symptoms or not, but I'm usually taking, I'd say 1.5 grams a day in divided doses. Uh, how much do you take? I take two grams at bedtime, um, yeah. more, more for sleep. I don't get uh, cold sores or anything like that. So I, I'm not like looking at symptoms, um, or there could be other symptoms. I like, there's all kinds of things yeah. that it helps with. Um, but I just found that it improves sleep quality and there's a couple things about inflammation out there. So it seems like a good yeah. stack. I do that and two and a half grams of GABA at night. And that, yeah. that just helps my sleep rock. Yeah, that'll, that'll knock you out. Yeah. Uh, and then there's there's a whole host of stuff. I mean, pre-workout, for instance, I would take uh, – there's there's a company that uh, I'm blanking on at the moment, but I, I get branched-chain amino acids from uh, one or two places and then a handful of, of other ad hoc sort of use-as-needed uh, types of prescription drugs and whatnot depending on how beaten up I was because I had – Check this out. You'll like this. So the quadricep in the, in the leg is four muscles, right, as you'd imagine. So in, in the first episode, we filmed parkour first. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and it, it, was not, it was not finished first because we were like, oh, my God, how, what are we going to do with this episode? I tore three of the four quadriceps in both legs. <laughs> I tore uh, the – basically tore, but I had severe uh, subpatellar tendonitis. I tore my infraspinatus in the left shoulder. I tore muscles in my forearm. So if you watch the drumming episode, you'll notice, which was the second, the second one we filmed, <laughs> you'll notice that I'm wearing a compression band on my arm. And people, like some people have seen it and they're like, what's up with the funny fashion? And I don't think I ever explain it in the drumming. So I was like, I don't know what, what order in which these are going to be finished. So I didn't want to create confusion. But my, I went straight. So infraspinatus... <laughs> For those people who don't know, is involved in a lot of things, but it's part of the rotator cuff mus- musculature, and it's involved in, say, decelerating a pitch. Okay, so this type of movement, and then I went straight to drumming of all <sighs> things. So I, I just accumulated these injuries, and I had some of the stuff that say NFL players use to get through games, just in case I needed it. Uh, like I don't like cor- to use it. Cortisol kind of stuff, or. 
not cortisol. I'm what is it called? Tramadol and a uh, bunch of. And I'm not a doctor. I don't play one. Stuff. On the, Got it. <laughs> yeah, I think it was tramadol. I the uh, not a doctor. Don't play one on the internet. But uh, and I don't like that stuff. I, I really don't like painkillers and opiate uh, derivatives. I just don't do well on them at all. So I actually did not take that stuff. But in the jujitsu episode, so I was in New York and training with Marcelo Garcia and his team. So Marcelo Garcia is kind of the Michael Jordan of, of the jiu-jitsu world. Or if you were to combine you know, Mike Tyson, Wayne Gretzky, and Michael Jordan, he's, he's the equivalent of that combination. He's, he's just an, an amazing athlete, six-time world champion, and uh, just got slaughtered. I mean, just destroyed. And the first day, they wanted to establish my baseline, and this, this beast just plowed into me and kind of tackled me and landed with like the point of his shoulder right in my floating rib. And it was like, (laughs) and, uh, so, but I had to keep on training for, you know, the four or five days with what felt like a broken floating rib, which is, it's surprisingly hard to diagnose. It turns out, even if you get, even if you get x-rays and whatnot, but in a case like that, you know, I'm doing traveled with a foam roller, different types of mobility tools, uh, I had two at the time lacrosse, lacrosse balls tied together or taped together with uh, athletic tape. Although should have like, called Kelly Starrett, he would have given you something. Oh, oh, I did. No, okay. I did. I did. So Kelly, Kelly gave me some uh, some tips and tricks as I was trying to work my way through all of these injuries. And uh, the the voodoo floss band actually helped a lot. Yeah. With the knees. And for those people who are, who are not familiar, this is from uh, Mobility Wad. That's Kelly's company. But Voodoo Floss, you, it's a very tight band that you wrap around. In this particular case, you, you basically almost tourniquet or tourniquet for you in the Commonwealth. <laughs> uh, you tourniquet your, your, your leg from, say, you know, six inches above the knee or eight inches above the knee to an equivalent below the knee. And then you do deep knee bends or something like that. And it's excruciating. It doesn't feel good. But uh, that alleviated my knee and joint capsule pain in the leg uh, more than just about anything else. And the nice baths and all the other crap that I do. But um, it was a lot. I had to throw everything in the kitchen sink at, at this schedule because what I realized, and I'm sure you've, you've probably looked into this and realized the same thing, that I filmed nonfiction television. And I say nonfiction because reality television with quotation marks is not, <laughs> it's not real at all. And and those guys film for like a day and they're done with an episode. I was filming, I mean, we were filming, I kid you not, cameras on for probably 12 plus hours a day for five to six hours, which gets cut down to 21, 22 minutes. It's a, it's a ton of work for everyone, including, as you can imagine, the editors and so on. So people just don't film that way. They just do not. And if, you, if, you, if you're wondering for proof of that, look at any reality TV show that involves a family or a house and people are always having discussions or debates in the kitchen, standing up. <laughs> and there's always someone like mixing something random. It's total crap. It's just made up. The whole thing is staged. So uh, to do real nonfiction TV is hard, is really hard. And if, if uh, man, I'm not sure I have it in me in my body to do it quite this way again. But you know, putting the stuff on in the visual medium, though, I think is just so fascinating and it affects people in a different way than say pure audio or uh, certainly the the printed page and text and I think it'll be a great gateway drug for people who are looking for additional accelerated learning tools but who are also intimidated not prone or too busy to sit down with a really thick tome of a book to try to you know to to try to pull their way through that so we'll see we'll see but uh, so far so good it looks like you'll be successful. I mean, you, you've got really cool things, tactical gunfighting, high stakes poker. You, you've done a good job of picking things that have large niche audiences. And I'm sure that was entirely accidental. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, I was going to say, it, it kind of looks like, like you've read Emergency by Neil Strauss, but you actually met with Neil Strauss. Who I'm a fan of, of that book in particular. Like I've done the Urban Escape and Evasion class he talks about in there just because it's, yeah. it's really cool. So, I mean, how did you pick all these topics? I basically went down through my mental bucket list and just said, all right, you know, if this TV show, whether this TV show succeeds or fails, 
how can I check a bunch of things off of my personal bucket list that I'll be excited about? Because if I'm not excited about it, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, if you try to feign excitement about something that you're <laughs> writing about or talking about, it doesn't oh. work. It, or at least for me, it yeah. doesn't work. I'm not an actor. Uh, so I, I wanted to make people – I wanted to make the show infectiously – exciting for people. And the only way to do that is for me to be really excited. Or if I want to make people nervous, the easiest way to do that is to do something that'll make <laughs> me really nervous. So for instance, with Neil Strauss, oh my God. Oh, so people ask me, you know, what was the scariest thing you did? Was it the, the you know, running around with, you know, t tactical gunfighting with, you know, real shotguns and AR-15s and handguns and swapping between them and racing for time? Or was it surfing with Laird? Or was it fill in the blank, physical, uh, physically punishing thing? And I'm like, no, the scariest thing I did and the most nerve wracking thing I did probably was going to the ferry building in San Francisco with Neil Strauss, who also wrote the game for those people who don't know. And um, having him force me to do cold approaches on women. <laughs> and I am so bad. Oh, God. So, so, so bad. So if you, if you really want to see something hilarious, the, uh, the dating episode, sort of the dating game where I, I look at, you know, trying to hack online dating and I actually bring in a very well-known computer hacker to, to, to find out what he does. And then uh, a matchmaker and then Neil with the cold approaches on the street. And uh, that was brutal. That was really brutal to my ego more than my body. But, oh, Lord, am I bad at that stuff. So you, so you get to see me make, make an ass of myself quite a, quite a fair amount in this show as well. This is going to be worth watching, uh, I'm sure. But I don't watch a lot of TV. I, I tend to like watch everything back to back, uh, oh, like sure. on Netflix or something. But how are you releasing yours? Yeah, that's it, it's this perfect segue because I am. I'm also a binge watcher. I will wait for shows to finish, and then I'll be like, "Look, I don't want to do the appointment viewing. I just want to sit down and really get into it and watch." Either, you know, the way I, I watched Game of Thrones was the entire season, one or two a night, and I'll just like yeah. smash through it, and I actually enjoy it more that way. Uh, this show is, you'll be able to do the same thing, and you can do the same thing. So I'm, I've, uh, by the time people are hearing this uh, or watching it, uh, all 13 episodes will be up on uh, iTunes. And iTunes, cool. I, yeah, and I may put them somewhere else. Um, later, but for the time being, uh, all 13 episodes are going to be on iTunes simultaneously, and so people can just just smash through as many as they want whenever they want. So it'll be 13 episodes, and uh, I think if you buy all 13, you get like 40 or 50 percent off for the season pass, something like that. But it's I actually encourage people to watch watch them in groups uh, because the each each one basically gives you. A handful of techniques and the portfolio, like the entire toolkit, is represented by the season. So when you watch a couple of them in a row, you're like, oh, I see what's happening there. Oh, Tim always does that. Okay, okay. I see this very, very common thing that happens to Tim where he has like a nervous breakdown at the on the night of day two. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, which which basically happened in, in drumming. That was oh my God. It's giving me like PTSD just thinking about this <laughs> stuff. But uh, the uh, that's the way it's being released, and I, it's I, I thought very very hard about it. I looked at a bunch of different options, and I'm and I may explore some of those options, ranging from say Vessel, which is brand new, uh, which uh, to uh, YouTube, to uh, platforms like VHX, where you can sell directly to your audiences, for instance, and uh, tends to I think this this split is a bit better to the creator, you know. Uh, on say a VHX, uh, but iTunes is I, is a fascinating ecosystem, and we don't have to delve too deeply into this right now, unless you want to. But uh, I've been doing so much with audio, I, I've just gotten very familiar with iTunes, and it, it just seemed like the right medium uh, and the, and the right partner for this launch. So that's that's the way that's the way we're doing it. I I should be more quantitative. There are uh, the majority of people who listen to this, and it'll probably be 100,000 plus uh, thereabouts in, in the next little while. 
will mostly listen on iTunes, but I don't actually know how many of them are watching video from iTunes versus, sure. and I don't charge for either one, but then there's also our YouTube side. So I, I probably should do my stats, but I know that the majority of people are driving while they listen to it, right? Yeah. So Definitely. for a TV show like yours, it'll be very different, but I like it that it's on iTunes because I can download it and watch it on airplanes, which is when I do most yeah. of my watching. Yeah, exactly. And I, I actually, uh, my, some of my friends make fun of me, but I'm so excited to, I have the, the, the phablet and the, the, the phone tablet. I ended up, ended up getting the six plus and I have a, yep, me too. I, yeah. Oh, there we go. Yes. And I have a, I have a, I have a very, very thin Logitech, uh, Logitech keyboard that I can actually stick inside a book. It's so thin. It's incredible. Wow. Uh, and it's, it's Bluetooth. But I can travel and just take this thing and lean it against a, you know, a, a glass of water on a table, and do almost everything I need to do. So it's uh, it's been great. But this, I'll give people a, key, a, a a tip also. If you're gonna buy, say, a phone and you want to watch movies on it, get the phone with the black on the front of the phone because that will blend into the outer edges of the movie as you watch it. Hey. Exactly. Same reason I did yeah. it. I mean, yeah. I love your advice. It's it's totally what I would do. Yeah, it makes, makes a big difference. The other thing is uh, look at the anti-glare screen protectors mm -hmm. um, because when you're on an airplane, when you're getting those bright like window lights coming in, uh, it glares yeah. and it's really hard to watch. Yeah, that's a good point. That's and a good point. I put the quick plug here uh, pretty obviously since I just had this plug. I put the Zentech screen protector on mine, which cuts glare a little bit, but it's the one that filters out the melatonin suppressing frequencies. So nice. then if I'm watching on an airplane uh, in the evening, like it's not going to mess with me versus you know st staring at a, a bright sunlight on a screen right. at midnight on an airplane is probably not good for your pineal gland. Yeah, probably not going to put you to, uh, to la-la land, right. facilitate the process. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's change gears here a bit because there's a couple things that I know people are hoping that I'm going to ask you about. Sure. And one of them is even pretty public on Facebook about Lyme disease. So you had a, a bout with that. I uh, have. Are you up for chatting about it? Yeah, happy to talk about it. All right. So how did you get it and what did you do about it? So the, the, the uh, I can answer both of those. Whether, whether I have fixed it or not is a subject of great debate. Um, so the, the, how did I get it is, is for me very straightforward. And I do think a lot of people self-diagnose incorrectly that they have Lyme disease. Oh, yeah. Um, and primarily because the, the symptoms of Lyme disease, let's just say achiness, memory loss in some cases, fatigue are symptoms that map to many different conditions and many different, uh, issues, including depression, uh, and, and other chronic autoimmune problems. So in my case though, so most doctors, if you go to a very top, say infectious, an infectious disease specialist at Stanford, for instance, if you come in and say that you have Lyme disease, the first thing they'll do is kind of nod politely and go, uh-huh, and where did you get Lyme disease? And then they'll pull up the Center for Disease Control map and look at the likelihood of you having been bitten by a tick if you haven't been traveling to say where I grew up, which is Eastern Long Island. So I was out at the very end towards Montauk on Eastern Long Island. And if you look at the CDC map, Lyme is from Lyme, Connecticut. That's where it was named. And uh, if you look at, say, certain parts of Connecticut, upstate New York, Hudson Valley, and then Eastern Long Island in particular, it has the highest density of Lyme-carrying deer ticks on the face of the planet, as far as I know. And uh, everyone in my family has had Lyme disease. Uh, if you go into a walk-in center, as I did, a walk-in clinic, uh, they have uh, posters that say, would you like, in my case, you know, would you like a $50 Amazon gift card? Please allow us to test your blood and, and send it to research for Lyme disease. <laughs> it's, that, it's that common. I mean, thousands and thousands of people every year. So <clears throat> uh, I got it because I was bitten by six deer ticks in the span of about two weeks. And uh, the reason that I didn't catch it early, and I think this is very important. Uh, and by the way, for those people who are wondering, deer ticks look very different from, say, the big, fat, kind of grape-sized uh, dog ticks that you might have pulled off your dog. Uh, deer ticks are the size of, say, a poppy seed. They're tiny. They're so hard to see. And for that reason, you oftentimes don't spot them until 
you're say taking a shower and you and you like you rub your arm or something like that and you feel what appears to be just a tiny little skin flap and it turns out to be a tick. Uh, that's how I caught it, and I did not exhibit the telltale bullseye rash. So a lot of people look for the bullseye rash, and it turns out I found out later that something like say 20% of the people who contract Lyme do not, they're asymptomatic topically. And I was in that camp. So I, I just, I kept on brushing it off and assuming that the increasing levels of fatigue and, and uh, the lack of mental acuity, the decreasing capabilities, the, the, the swollen joints were caused by some combination of exercise, not enough sleep, too much coffee, whatever it might've been. Uh, so it got to the point where I was I was forgetting very close friends' names, yeah. and and my knees were so swollen that I had trouble getting out of bed in the morning. It took me five to ten minutes to get up and walking around, and at that point, my my close friends and my assistant basically said, "Look, I know that when you're on, you're on; and when you're off, you're off. I've seen you push yourself to the limit. I've seen you fatigued. I've seen you sick. I've seen you this. I've seen you that." This is none of those things. You need to go see a doctor and um, talk to my parents. And they're like, yeah, you have Lyme disease. This is no big mystery. (laughs) Uh, So go to the doctor. And I went to the doctor, was prescribed doxycycline uh, right off the bat. They're like, yeah, I mean, we'll test you, but you have Lyme disease. This is pretty straightforward. Uh, We see this every day. So here we go, doxycycline. And so I did, uh, I think it was maybe uh, somewhere between nine and 12 weeks of doxycycline. And uh, as as you as you know, because we we spoke about this at some length, uh, didn't didn't seem to do the trick uh, entirely. And uh, I'm very conflicted about this topic. I will tell you right now, I'm very <laughs> conflicted because there are so many qualified people with diametrically opposed perspectives on Lyme disease. I will just say, just to throw it out there, I think that many of the problems that people label as chronic Lyme are not actually related to the Lyme causing spirochete itself, but instead are are residual effects of having destroyed their gut flora. And that that I, I feel I feel very confident that, that is an under discussed aspect of what people call chronic Lyme is the uh, the fact that it could be in fact chronic uh, microbiome depletion and uh, what I've noticed for instance I've been using all sorts of pre and probiotics yeah. Um, you name it. And I, I mean, I know some very good microbiologists and people who specialize in this stuff. And I'm an investor in a company called Ubiome, which uh, with a U in the beginning, which actually does gut biome testing. Yeah, we, we had those guys on the show. They were yeah. they were at the first Bulletproof conference. Totally love Ubiome. I didn't know you were an investor, though. Thanks yeah. for doing that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, they're 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 a great team. And it is looking at my GI testing, my gastrointestinal testing, and 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 uh, fecal matter tests, and so on. It's really, really hard to completely and properly re- repopulate your gut. It's, it's very challenging. So I've, I've had great difficulty with that and have noticed that my symptom or la- symptoms or lack of symptoms seem to correlate to my intake of these uh, probiotics because they're not seeding. In other words, the environment in my gut, for whatever reason, is not, uh, is not acting as a good host to repopulation of a lot of the desirable bacteria. Anyway, so, so I, I won't go too, too, yeah. I would encourage you to look at the other side of the microbiome, which hasn't been well explored, which is the fungal biome in the gut, which is, is at least as complex as the bacterial one, but really only recently acknowledged. And a lot of people with Lyme, by the way, I had Lyme for years, validated by every kind of test, including a a company my wife and I started that actually did live white blood cell proliferation testing for different strains of Lyme. Is this European Lyme or American Lyme? Like, because there's slightly different genetics and we could tease out whether you had an active infection or not. Um, So that and Western blood, all these things. So like you, I was like, I'm going to dig deep on this stuff. Um, But a lot of people get better when they do a 30-day course of an antifungal agent called fluconazole. And yeah, yeah. it's really interesting. You do that and all of a sudden then the bacteria that have been decimated in your gut can then start to move into where they want to go. And there's a whole other set of like fat-soluble neurotoxins that recirculate after 
after Lyme. But it's a fascinating thing because you mm-hmm. felt the brain fog and the lack of memory. And in fact, uh, in you get the same almost identical lipophoric toxins they're called from environmental molds, like in, in a water damaged building. So you get that brain fog effect and you're like, what was my friend's name? Why did I open the refrigerator? Why am I at the store? I can't remember what I was going to buy. Yeah. Uh, I used to live with that and it was, it was horrible. But uh, Daniel Amen in the movies, like you can lose 15 IQ points just from exposure to a water damaged building. So th- that slowness when you're used to being against certain, it's, it's maddening. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it's, it's infuriating. <laughs> and I mean, it was, what was uh, not to interrupt, but what was so scary to me because I have Alzheimer's and Parkinson's on both sides of my family. And I was like, wow, this must be, I would imagine the closest thing to dementia that I've ever felt. And I was just like, how maddening must it be to start to lose your mental faculties and to be fully aware of the fact that you are losing your mental faculties? God, I mean, it's just, it really made me want to dig into those types of neurodegenerative diseases and preventative measures all the more so as well. So just as a side note. I dealt with a lot of this when I was 26. My career was doing this and I, my brain started doing what you felt. And yeah, there's a reason I know so much about all these things because you, like, <laughs> you really want to understand. Uh, well, and that brings us to the next uh, subject here, which is you and I are some of the, the most public people about uh, smart drugs. It's just that, yeah, we use nootropics, um, use them for a long time, uh, uh, the, the usual suspects like hydrogen and, and yeah. vasopressin and all those sorts of things. Um, what are the latest things that you've you've been experimenting with or not experimenting with with smart drugs like yeah smart drugs so you know i i have this is i have uh i'm i'm uh i'm not gonna say reformed but i will say i have been trying to improve my mental and physical performance through as many whole foods as possible uh, and trying to minimize some of the smart drug use, which is, is of course, always there. It's it's waiting in the wings. It's always available and I know what they can do. So it's a very very tempting uh, collection of tools. Uh, I would say I, I haven't really, have I been, let me think about this. Have I been pushing the envelope with anything in particular? Uh, so let, let me take a step back and just say to folks that I would view as a smart drug, anything that you ingest, apply topically or inject that improves your cognitive performance. So anything that improves your cognitive performance, uh, and oh, that, do you mean supplements and like drug drugs when you say that? I, I mean, I mean anything, anything okay, that, that you, anything that you put in your body that has a biological consequence of including improving mental performance. So I've been consuming uh, sodium and calcium beta-hydroxybutyrate. Oh, yeah. So synthetic, you know, synthetic ketones. It's the first thing that happens after you take brain octane. It turns into BHB, right? Yeah. So I've been consuming <clears throat> uh, a, uh, a supplemental form of, of ketones, I mean, directly, and it tastes kind of like limeade, uh, but I've been playing with that, and uh, certainly been playing with uh, with different oils. I would say right now, because I am in ketosis, that's where my energy is focused. I'm, I've been very fascinated by looking at, you know, the the different uh, approaches to increasing circulating ketones, and there are many different ways to do that. Obviously, there are dietary ways to do that. There are supplemental ways to do that. Uh, you can do it with exercise. Uh, you can do it with fasting. Uh, you can do it with a combination of all of those things. And uh, as far as as far as the pills and potions go, uh, you know, I I have if I use if I use anything, I'm tending to select them based on the amount of longitudinal data available. Uh, hydrogen does great things for me. And again, this is, I, it's, 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 uh, this is just a personal use statement. So I'm not recommending other people do it. It it can, uh, it's a very, it can be very powerful drug, but hydrogen has a lot of data behind it and has been studied for a very, very long time. So I, I find that to be quite fascinating, but the last time I used hydrogen would, would have to be more than six months ago. Um, so uh, I'd say that's, that's, that's basically where I am uh, and doing a lot of blood testing, 
Um, I'm definitely back in full testing mode. So I've been you know, testing my, my glucose and ketone levels with a device called the Precision Extra from Abbott Labs uh, probably four times a day. And I'm going to be doing... Does, both. It, does it look like that? That's the one. <laughs> I've yeah. been sitting on my desk because yeah, yeah. I kind of do the same thing. Yeah, yeah that's the one. So, that's the one. so is, is Mark Cuban a total wuss? Because he recommended that we test only four times a year, and he got like savaged in the media for that just like two weeks ago. Uh, yeah. Which I'm like, only four weeks? Come on, Mark, step it up, man. Yeah, so, yeah. so you're doing four times a day for some some variables, okay? Oh yeah, I'm doing four times a day for some variables, <laughs> and I'm doing blood testing uh, right now on a weekly basis. That's expensive. I don't I don't think that a most weekly people... basis. Yeah, I'm doing it on a weekly basis. You're spending what six eight grand a month or something? Spending a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Spending a lot of money, but I, you know, I'm doing it hopefully so that other people don't have to Agreed. replicate that type of silliness. Uh, I'll spend that money because I'm trying to compare not only <clears throat> not only different variables, uh, but different labs, and uh, so it's actually more. It's even more expensive, which is insane. Uh, yeah. But I'm doing so next week, for instance. Uh, I'm going to be. Going, I'll be doing two consecutive blood draws at two different labs to see how their results compare. Oh man, I, I think <laughs> I know what you're going to find. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure they'll be very wildly divergent, but I'll be curious to see because ultimately, when you're looking at blood tests, uh, you're looking for, uh, among other things, directional data, um, not just absolute numbers. In other words, when people say, "Oh my God," you know, I looked at my labs and this is in range, this is out of range, the doctor wants to prescribe me this drug. Uh, before you uh, talk to your doctor, but this, the, one of the most important things I could convey to people if they take one thing away from this is that if you are mildly out of range or even significantly out of range on a variable and your doctor says, okay, great, we're going to prescribe you X and you're only getting blood tests once a year, that could mean you get put on, say, allopurinol for high uric acid levels uh, but if you were to go in a week later, uh, you might have perfectly normal uric acid levels. And Especially that, if you don't have like a high fructose breakfast, which is going to raise uric acid anyway. Like, like what yeah. you just had that day before could change everything. Or, yeah, or, yeah. If you ha or if you haven't been eating very well or you've been sick and you've lost a bunch of muscular weight, which happened to me. Uh, when I was fasting, not surprisingly, <laughs> and um, the, the but the, the but the 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 point being, <clears throat> if you have that type of result before you commit to going on prescription drug for a year that could uh, not only have side effects but also is going to cost you a good chunk of money or at least eat up all of your insurance deductible, uh, get a second blood test um, and confirm. Uh, I, I really think it's it's very important before making these uh, large medical decisions to try to get a second opinion. And the way you get a second opinion objectively is you get a second test. And uh, you should try to get those tests <clears throat> so that they're comparable, uh, ideally on the same day of the week and the same time of day. If you're comparing, say, sex hormones, right? So somebody could walk in, oh my God, I have really low testosterone compared to my last test. And the last test was on a Wednesday and this test was on a Monday after two days of heavy drinking, it's like, well, you're not really comparing apples to apples. So those would just be a few thoughts on just general health tracking. And when I say not absolute, also directional, you want to be able to look at where your values are headed, yeah. not, not just the snapshot in time and, you, and assessing those results independently. You want to kind of look, be able to to graph your data. And uh, I think Theranos is doing some interesting work in that arena. Huge. Uh, but what about uh, Wellness FX? I think you're, you're and I are both advisors to Wellness FX. Yeah. Are, you, are you still using them? Yeah, Wellness FX, I still used. Uh, I still use. They were uh, acquired mm -hmm. and I still uh, have used Wellness FX uh, on a number of occasions. I am doing such weird stuff right now <laughs> yeah. uh, that I'm getting into some pretty esoteric territory. So doing some doing some supplemental tests that might not be available through wellness. Uh, yeah, I, I do the same thing. I have uh, basically high-end anti-aging kind of guys in different states where I'll go see uh, go see them, and we get strange panels that you're just never going to find on Wellness FX. But yeah. I like my statistical process control for the big variables because I have this historical graph from Wellness FX. Oh, definitely. That's that's pretty cool. 
But one of my uh, favorite guys is uh, a guy who's been doing anti-aging since before they called it that, I think. Um, his name is uh, Philip Lee Miller in Los Gatos. And one of the things I like about him is that he thinks the same way you do about, well, are these labs different? And he's so picky that when you get stuff tested, he'll actually tell you, okay, you have to get your blood drawn at one of these locations, but it has to go to this facility because the lab techs from this lab company who do it, you know, here in California, they know what they're doing, but the ones in Chicago, they'll give you different results for the same data. So even from the same company, there's inter-lab variability and it could be like 20% or something, right? Yeah. So, so all of a sudden you're in a safe zone or not safe zone. And you could make all these decisions based on like these little things. So I'm, I'm with you yeah. there. If something's so definitely. scary out, like get another test from somewhere else. And if they don't match, uh, then you know you could always try changing your lifestyle specifically to change that variable. And thank you, Google. We can probably figure out how to do that for most variables these days and do something dramatic. And then if you don't see a shift, then okay, now you can really ask yourself some questions. But these are all controllable if you're motivated and you have the knowledge. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, yeah, the interlab stuff makes me insane. And keep in mind, and this, I'll, I'll, I'll give people sort of the good news, but the bad news is it's not, just, it's not just the labs, so these different companies that process, it's not just the lab techs. It could be the people doing the draw itself and how they label things. So uh, <laughs> there, there are a lot of pieces to this puzzle, but the, I, I really, in the last surprisingly, it, perhaps people might think this is surprising because Lyme has been so challenging for me. Uh, and I'm not convinced it was all Lyme, uh, but that was, that was the, uh, the primary diagnosis. Uh, I've become even more convinced that people can fix themselves by paying attention to, uh, among other things, just really focusing on trying to load nutrients into their whole food diet. Because I think that there's, I use, I mean, you can't see it. I'm, I'm looking over the top of my laptop, but I mean, I, I have a lot of supplements. I mean, yeah. let's, let's call a spade <laughs> a spade. I am a, I'm a pill popper. Do, and you see, I, see that I love, cabinet behind me right there? Yeah. yeah uh, that's, 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 that's all full of, that's, that's like my vitamin warehouse, right? Yeah, so it's like I, I am a walking, I'm a walking pharmacy on some level, but I, I really feel like there is uh, there's a tendency sometimes for people to use supplements as primary sources of nutrition, and supplements are supplements. That's why they're labeled as such. And I just feel like if if people were to take more responsibility for consuming, say, just just trying to consume a spectrum of colors in their diet. Uh, I think is a very easy way to go about this. I mean, try to con try to consume a wide spectrum of colors in your diet. You're going to consume nutrients that include things we haven't identified yet. And I think that that's that's kind of the big pink elephant in the room that some people haven't identified is that we don't. We're going to look back at what we know now in 50 years and just. It'll be like you know bloodletting to 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 relieve people of of bad demons. I mean, I think it's it's uh, the gaps in our knowledge are going to be so astonishing when we look back. Forget fifty years and ten years. Uh, if, if you look at just where we are with the microbiome and where we were ten years ago, oh my god! So uh, I've I've become a, a even more so a huge proponent of of really asking yourself. Um, how to optimize your your whole food consumption for a wide variety of of nutrients? It, it's funny. Something kind of simple like a cyanidin, the the dark coloring in purple berries, like blueberries or cabbage or something. Uh, okay, it has direct antioxidant effects, but it's not considered a vitamin. It's not even you know like like the regulatory agencies that say whether something could be a vitamin don't call it a vitamin. But it's certainly important. But we don't even know if it's important because of direct effects or because it changes your gut biome, so you have more uh, bacteria, DDS, and less firmicutes. Like. Right. Exactly. Like coffee and chocolate yeah. and other things, like all the high polyphenol things do. But that one specifically has all these other, like almost medical effects that just that one purple color. Like, at what point is something a vitamin versus, well, it's really useful at all sorts of things in your body. And like everything in food that's not bad for you is probably a vitamin, other than like the basic calorie unit that you're going to burn for fuel. Everything else in there is it's either useful or not useful. If it's not useful, I try to minimize it. If it's useful, you take more, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I think that that the the nutrition world um, and certainly a lot of uh, you know, folks that I've bumped into 
in the last year of trying to fix Lyme, they they think they they think they know more than they know as it relates to the totality of the nutritional profiles of of different foods, just like you said. So the uh, what Nassim Taleb would call sort of epistemological arrogance, right? I mean, it's just like you hold up a a, a piece of of spinach or you you you, you hold up. <laughs> A piece of steak, and it's like, all right, what is in this? What is in this? And you might have someone who looks at it, and they're like, well, you know, you've got some some creatine in the uh, in the steak. You've got some this. You've got some that. You've got some B this, some B that. You have protein. You have roughly this macronutrient split. And it's like, is that all that's in here? You know, what else do we have? Do we have any you know conjugate you know CLA? Do we have any blah blah blah? And it's like, who knows? At the end of the day, the answer is we don't know. And uh, I think that's. It's very exciting to me. I'm, I'm really like you mentioned the sort of fungal microbiome. Uh, I'm really excited about what we're going to be able to do when we have very large data sets of full genomes, and that's coming very, very, very soon. Are you signed up for for HLI with Craig Venter? I, I'm going to do HLI yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm signed yeah. up already. I, I can't yeah. wait to get myself sequenced. It, it's going to yeah. be amazing. Yeah, um, I did that through Peter Diamandis. Uh, he's yeah. uh, a member of his, his group there, and. Uh, um, they had a special deal. I'm like, how could I not do that? So I'm, oh, my yeah. wife and I are both getting our full genome sequenced as soon as we, as soon as we can. Yeah, it's uh, they're they're going to do amazing things. The, you said something about you know the steak and the spinach kind of thing, and the the part of me that that goes like ah, as, as a systems thinker, like okay, the only like before you answer what's in either one of those things, you, you have to say what soil was it grown in. Yeah, <laughs> because definitely. that is not high iron spinach unless the soil is high in iron because spinach can't magically turn a non-iron element into iron because it went iron. So, And that, that meat, if you don't know what it ate and what soil that grew in, you don't know what's in the meat. So it all comes down to soil. And that's one of the reasons I'm on a 32-acre soon-to-be organic farm. Like we turned a gravel pit into a grassland that we're using to well either grow berries or feed horses or actually to feed cattle that we're going to then eat. Uh, but like that, that whole sort of thing there, it's like you've got to get the soil right. And once that starts, um, part of my goal in, in the, all the work that I do is to just create demand for stuff that comes from healthy soil. So then we'll start making it instead of spraying what's an antibiotic on soil. Roundup's an antibiotic. Like it affects bacteria in a negative way. So like the whole system of everything that feeds us is getting jacked up because our microbiome in our gut is directly tied to the one in the soil and that's been broken. And that kind of stuff just kind of pisses me off, to be honest. Yeah, you're here. I agree. I agree. I mean, if uh, if you don't know what you ate, ate, then you don't know what you're putting in your mouth, and that's why it's uh, you know you you. <laughs> I'm very fortunate to live in the Bay Area, so I have I have access to say very uh, very well raised uh, cattle and other animals uh, if if I want to consume animal protein. Uh, but I might get lectured by someone who's who's eating salmon that came from some horrible. And, and not all the farms are horrible, my, yeah. but it could come from some horrible uh, farming condition where it's being fed, you know, God knows what, uh, fruity pebbles, <laughs> and uh, and they'll be and, and I'll get a, a sanctimonious lecture because I'm eating something from say, you know, Marin Sun Farms, which which produces amazing meat, uh, and I'm like, well, not so fast. It's not quite <laughs> it's not quite as simple as you think because. Your salmon was eating fruity pebbles, and my, and my cow <laughs> was eating grass and marin. So, you know, I'll take the cow. Uh, so it's 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 a multi 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 variable problem for sure. It is, and it's one. I'm opening the Bulletproof Coffee Shop in Santa Monica, uh, probably within days of when your TV show goes uh, on the air. I think May 27th awesome. is your date. Uh, a, a, uh, April April oh, 27th, but sorry. probably. Yeah, April. I, I got the month yeah. wrong, but the day, yeah, April twenty seventh, right? Yeah, end of April is when we're planning to open. So awesome, awesome. Well, I will be spending more time in LA, so I will, and I'll, I'll probably be spending more time with 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 Arnie also after interviewing him on the uh, Arnold uh, Schwarzenegger on the podcast. So I will, I will, I will try to have some. I'll have some coffee, and then I'll go upstairs and see if I can convince people to let me hold the Conan the Barbarian sword. <laughs> that makes great sense. I'm uh, I actually I love that episode by the way with, with Arnold. That was hilarious. Yeah, he's he's an amazing character. Well, let's see here. There's a question that you've already answered on the show about top three recommendations for uh, for people who want to perform better. But since you've already answered it, I'm going to modify. I think for the first time in the show's history, 200 plus episodes, I'm going to ask you what are your top three recommendations for learning a new skill. Mm. 
That's a good one. <sighs> Top recommendations for learning a new skill. Uh, number one would be look for performers who are good who shouldn't be good. In other words, ask yourself, what does a top performer, uh, what does a top performer say in swimming look like, uh, or in ultra endurance running? What do they look like? They they look like a spider in ultra endurance. So can, can you can so can you find and you can ask people. You can Google this also. You know, uh, can you find a three hundred pound ultra endurance runner, or can you find a two hundred fifty pound ultra endurance runner? who's beefy and not spindly. Uh, and uh, that will allow you to separate trait-dependent performance from skill-dependent performance. So you want to find someone who's overcoming traits that are bad for their skill by using better training. And uh, you, you can find this, right? Uh, if you wanted to find, say, a chef who uh, has, some, has tongue cancer, you could find a drummer who only has one arm. Right? These people all exist. Uh, and it doesn't have to be that exaggerated. But the, the, the first would be look for people who are good at it, who shouldn't be. Or instead of looking for, say, the Michael Phelps of swimming, who is someone who went from zero to hero in the shortest period of time possible? Like who can I find who made the most progress possible in six months? And in swimming, that would turn out to be some a Japanese guy named Shinji Takeuchi. And uh, it doesn't take a lot of digging online to figure this out. Um, and he, he's a proponent of something called total immersion. Yeah. And in fact, one of the episodes of the TV show is trying to get a, a, uh, a uh, woman who couldn't swim one lap in a pool to swimming open water in the ocean in like 50 feet of water for almost a half mile. Um, and we had about three and a half days to do that. So that's, that's an exciting episode. People can check it out. <laughs> but uh, the, other, the other two things I would say is uh, number one, uh, what, I, what I mentioned, number two uh, would be sort of deconstructing the skill. And uh, if you haven't seen The 4-Hour Chef, you can just do a search, I'm sure, for D-I-S-S-S. -S -S. So DISS, which stands for deconstruction, selection, sequencing, and stakes, creating consequences, in other words, for succeeding or failure in different ways. And last would be pick something that really gets you excited uh, have at least one skill you're trying to tackle that gets you really excited, not just something that you think you should learn. Uh, and by having one of them in the mix, you're, that, that transfers to other things that maybe you're obliged to learn. So I would say follow your excitement. Awesome, awesome advice. All right, Tim, I don't know if you need to drop the URL uh, uh, that you use because everyone who listens to this already knows it. But if you want to, you can. Or maybe just tell people the name of your show on iTunes again so we can put it in the show notes and everyone who's driving can pull over and type it because we all pull over. <laughs> when we're yeah, for sure. It's, uh, so the, on, on iTunes, it's just the Tim Ferriss experiment. Uh, you, you, might be able, you might be able to find it on iTunes at uh, just iTunes.com forward slash Tim Ferriss with two R's and two S's. Uh, that might take you to the podcast. But either way, you, you'll be able to track it down. Or you can just go to fourhourworkweek.com forward slash TV, which includes all of the bonus footage and the extended interviews and all sorts of crazy outtakes <laughs> that, we, that we couldn't put in the show. Uh, and that will also have links to the TV show. So fourhourworkweek.com forward slash TV, all spelled out. We'll get you everything you need. Awesome. Tim, thanks again for being on the show. Yeah, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed today's episode, Please do me a favor, head on over to iTunes and click like. And while you're at it, check out Tim's new show because it's going to be cool.
A human upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.